Reeling from all the terrible news, but not sure how to take action? I'm Kelly. I'm Lila. And this is What Can I Do? Each week, we interview activists about how they took action, what got them started, who helped them along the way, and what they do differently next time. In the process, we offer concrete advice on how to take the leap from freaking out on Twitter to making a difference. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. I am Kelly. This is What Can I Do? And the podcast where we figure out how you can maybe stab something appropriately instead of inappropriately when you're full of rage. I am here with my co-host, Lila Nordstrom. Hi, Lila. Hey, Kelly. How are you? Uh, well, as we were saying earlier, how you are right now is a big, eh, but um, it's a question mark. <laughs> at the moment, I'm great. It's the beginning of the weekend. I'm great. <laughs> Perfect. Today, we have Shannon Downey from Badass Cross Stitch joining us. I'm pretty excited to talk about the intersection between activism and art and how, you know, you can find the connection between those two. So Shannon, will you tell us a little bit about who you are, what Badass Cross Stitch is, and how you approach activism. Yeah. First, I'm super happy to be here. It's nice to meet both of you. Um, what do I do? That's an excellent question. I consider myself an activist first, an artist second. I really, over the last 10 years, have been working to figure out how art and craft in particular can be used as like community organizing mechanisms and how art can serve as interventions and how art can serve as tools within the various movements and you know sort of any activism that folks are doing how to basically I trick people into hanging out with me by telling them I'll teach them how to embroider and then I make them talk about all the things that they're like never supposed to talk about with strangers and you know I hope that I am uh, supporting folks in considering themselves activists and really taking that identity on because I think a lot of folks have a very narrow understanding or narrow sort of like definition of who or what an activist is. And so while people are doing a lot of really important work, if and I think it's linked to capitalism, right? Like if they are not paid to do that thing, if that is not the primary thing that they do, then they have trouble um, connecting with that identity. The same way that a lot of crafters and artists have trouble calling themselves an artist, right? It's like, well, it's a hobby. It's a thing I do, right? That doesn't mean you're not an artist. Um, so it's getting people to embrace that identity and then supporting them in their journey as activists. Ah, I love all of this. So I am not yet a cross stitcher, although you have me very interested in learning, uh, but I'm a knitter. And so I think a lot of the ways you talk on your website about why you love embroidery are a lot of the same sorts of things that I get out of knitting. I wonder if you could talk, I, I don't think you use the word mindfulness there, but I think a lot about sort of the, the physicality and the you know intentionality of knitting. So if you could talk a little bit about why you love embroidery, why that's a, a thing that that connects for you? Um, for me personally, I started embroidering hmm, 10 or 12 years ago, just because I was connected to a device all the time for my work. And I was like, so burnt out and just felt like I needed some digital analog balance in my life. And embroidery was just something that I remembered learning how to do in fifth grade and thought, 
like, oh, Star Trek, Captain Picard. I should totally stitch that. That's his circle. <laughs> I love Star Trek. And then quickly it, it shifted from that to creating a space for myself where I could stitch something aligned with the work that I was doing in the world, but like really give myself some sub substantive time <laughs> to like think about it and process it and ask myself questions and like figure out what do I know? What do I don't know? Where the, you know, where did my information come from? All of the questions that you want to be sort of self-critical around when working in anything. And then I, I just realized like, seriously the next day after my first stitch I was like oh my god I just had like 10 good ideas <laughs> and I like had not had a good idea in months you know that just my creativity was just gone so in that sense it brought a lot of like my creative juices back it also you know it it is quite meditative mm -hmm. it's that sort of repetitive motion that comes up and it's a lot of um space and time to be thoughtful and, and think, um, you know, I, I stitch in silence most of the time. I don't like watch TV or anything. Cause I really am using that time to, to think and process. My mother and I always call that having an idea day where suddenly we have like a burst of ideas. Cause we just had like a burst of energy and then we yeah. call and we find out half of them are silly, but that's okay. That's what it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about how you sort of came to your political identity, how you came to political work. Were you engaged in other kinds of political work before this? Like, how did you come to this? Yeah, I was born into this. Um, <laughs> I also think that I was just born different. I don't know why. Like, there are so many stories of my childhood that, like, historically were used to be like, oh, my God, you're such a difficult child. And now are used to be like, this is why you are the way you are. <laughs> like, what a fun turn this has taken. You know, everything from being like literally in diapers and hating my babysitter and and packing up my diaper bag and walking three blocks home and hiding on the back stoop at like three because I just was like, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm not into this. So there's like this sort of sense I've always had of just like, authority is something that I, I evaluate often. And then, um, if I think that it's good authority, I'm down with it. And if I think that it's not good authority, I'm not down with it and will not be aiding and abetting or abiding by, but my parents are wildly political. And, you know, my dad was president of the Pipefitters union in Boston. And so I grew up in the labor movement and the democratic um, movements and just like, there were always a thousand people in my house making signs. And that was like my introduction to how fun protest is <laughs> like people in your house, always, the <laughs> always art supplies, like every, you know, so much noise and talking and people getting fired up and making posters because we're going to go stand on the picket line and then going and standing on the picket line and people driving by and beeping and like, you know, supporting you. And it was like being in a parade. God, I loved it. I loved it. And like voting day was always the biggest deal in my family because my parents were always poll workers. So it was like this day where you got to go to the polls and sit there. And there was always like 
tons of candy and you can see where like my my motivations come from like <laughs> art and food done um and you know the whole the whole community would come through so you get to say hi to everybody and it was always just so exciting so like for me it's always been a part of my life but it's always been like a really positive fun community piece mm-hmm. of my life which is why it just you know, made so much sense. Um, when I started to connect the dots of what I was doing personally, the response that I was seeing from people, and then the ability to, to sort of get people together, talking, making, taking action. Could you talk some about the types of group projects, group activities that you've worked on and, and the way that, you know, there there's coming together, but there's also being able to sort of produce something as a group and, and how that's meaningful and, and can bring people together. Yeah. I mean, I love community projects. I think that they're really fun. I think the sort of like best known community project that I did ended up being uh, a quilt project called Rita's Quilt. And that one was just you know, there was nothing political to it. There was nothing like craftivist to it. There was nothing like for me, what it was, was finding an an unfinished project for a woman who had passed and thinking like, I need to finish this for her. I can't like, you know, this is her life's work is all around me in this estate sale, right? So I'm at an estate sale in her house and I'm buying up a bunch of her completed pieces because her her work was beautiful. And then I find this unfinished project. I'm like, man, it kills me that this is sitting here. Like her spirit is not resting. I'm totally projecting, but it doesn't matter. Um, and so I, I, I bought it and then I, I brought it home and I was like, Oh my God, I can never do this by myself. This will take the rest of my life. PS I will have to learn how to quilt and like, (laughs) I'm not a quilter. Um, so I just went to the internet and I was like, look y'all like how many, of our ancestors work was like just totally undervalued underappreciated unfinished unseen sold off at estate sales for five bucks after they died like I want to finish this as a statement around that and like in honor of all of our folks that have gone before us and within 24 hours I had over a thousand volunteers who were like you better pick me (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh shit. Okay. Um, you know, and then from there it just became like, for me, it became like a project management gig for three months, (laughs) unpaid gig for three (laughs) months where, you know, I'm just, I'm managing 135 artists from across the country. I'm sending out pieces, um, a hundred people embroidered, uh, a different piece of each of the quilts and it back we had a team of like 30 um, quilters and hand sewers who put the whole thing together. I mean, it was just, it was spectacular. And it was such a, like a beautiful community project, but also really meaningful in terms of the relationships that developed. Like these are sisters now. And we like the, the quilt debuted at the um, National Quilt Museum in Paducah, Kentucky, um, right before COVID. It was probably in COVID, but it was before <laughs> lot like the day before lockdown. So there's that. 
And, you know, like 50 of the people that worked on it all went to Kentucky and brought their families. And so we all got to just like take over Paducah for three days and like spend time together and get to know each other's families. And it was just, we all got matching tattoos. Like it was, it was pretty epic. And so I think there's just so much power in the ability of art to connect us and to connect us, not just to each other, but to our past and and to themes that we want to see changed right like so often craft is belittled as like a lesser art form and that's largely tied to you know uh that women did it and you know capitalism so you know it was just all of that was a part of this project and people took what they wanted from it but for me that was the heart of it this ties kind of perfectly into my next question, which was about, you know, I think with something like crafting, you have two kind of opportunities to create change, at least. One being that, you know, the outcome of the art itself can be political, but also that in gathering people together, you have an opportunity to talk to people at a time that they are potentially more open to listening, more open to conversing about things that would be uncomfortable to talk about with strangers. So I'm curious, I know you guys run like a Skillshare series at Badass Cross Stitch. I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about that and also, you know, how you ended up trying to turn what was a hobby like Cross Stitch into an opportunity to essentially run, you know, like an educational series in the process. Yeah. So I should clarify, Badass Cross Stitch is just me. It's <laughs> okay. just, it's just my art name. But like, you know, everybody thinks because there's like so much going on that is, you know, a crew and like, no, just lowly little Shannon trying to get shit done. the use of royal me as an activist. <laughs> I love all the it. time. Okay. Nope. Love it. Yeah. So I started the How to Be a Good Human series right at the beginning of the pandemic. And that, you know, I just do a lot of listening to my community and then trying to find ways to support them in their activism and in their lives and in their art. So I heard a lot of people right at the start of COVID, particularly as the like massive uptick in anti-Asian violence and anti-Asian American violence was happening. And, you know, people saying things like, oh my God, I would not know what to do if I saw this happening or like, how do I, how do I de-escalate something if I see it I just like I want to do more I just don't know what and I thought oh man like that's so easy to solve like we could solve that in one hour of your life if you're willing to show up for this workshop and so I thought you know it's so interesting how we don't train people in things like this as like a part of our general education right at best you get cpr training right <laughs> like that's your like community um you know service knowledge to the world and i thought we should be training people up in so many more things and instead of thinking like we should i just said i will <laughs> so i just started it and um i partnered with Asian Americans Advancing Justice Chicago, who I was formerly their director of development, which is how I knew that they were already doing this. Partnered with them, offered bystander intervention trainings over the course of a month, each workshop, same workshop over and over again, but like an hour and a half and uh, trained over 600 people in bystander intervention. And like the response was amazing. Additionally, I... So these workshops are pay what you can, because I never want money to be a barrier to people being able to participate. So 
if you have at least a dollar, which is the event rate minimum, you can do anything I do. But all of that money went to advancing justice. So then I thought, okay, we have to do more of these. This is so exciting. Like, what can we train people in next? And so I thought, you know, uh, the, the overdose epidemic right now is so massive. And like a lot of it's opioid related. We need people to be able to identify an overdose and be able to reverse it. So Narcan training it is. So I partnered with Harm Reduction out of New York and we did a four event series. So it was, you know, how to prevent or reverse a drug overdose, how to talk to young people about drugs. Um, uh, there were two more all drug related. I can't remember. It's been a minute, but you know, so that is what just kicked it off. And then it was like, you tell me what you want to get trained up in and I will find the experts and bring them in and all of the money is going to go to them. And I want you to like, get what you can out of this. So we've done, um, activism one-on-one for introverts and highly sensitive people. We've I love done- that idea, <laughs> so especially good. for a craftivist community. It's so perfect. Right. Um, Omkari Williams is amazing. So she facilitated those we did. So you want to go to therapy, but you don't know where to start. So I called my therapist and I was like, Hey, do you want to do a workshop for my people? (laughs) Because nobody knows how to do this. And she's like, hell yeah. You know? So it's just like, I just find cool people. And now people like cool people are finding me. And so we've got one coming up in October on how to support friends, coworkers, acquaintances who are in uh, violent relationships. Mm -hmm. And so like, how do you as a friend um, support that person in who's living that experience? And so I just feel like this is so exciting. I'll do this till the end of days. I love it. But it's also just, you know, helping people who want to do more in the world, like very quickly train up and be able to go out into the world and have impact. So I want to follow up on this idea of partnering with other people, because I think that's really important that, you know, when you were talking about the uh, the initial training that you set up and you said, well, I, I knew they were already doing this. And so I think that's that's one of the things that I think people um, maybe don't realize they can go find other organizations that already exist, people who are doing the work, lift up work that's already happening instead of trying to build everything from scratch all over again every time. So could you talk a little bit about that, that idea of partnering and and lifting up other people's work? Yeah, I could talk endlessly about that. (laughs) I do not want to reinvent the wheel ever, ever, ever. Also, people have been doing whatever work you want to be involved in. People are already doing it and have been doing it for a very long time. They have tons of experience. They understand nuance and intricacies the way that somebody coming into this never could. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like your job, my job is in moments where they like right now, abortion, right? Like we don't need to invent anything new. Every single thing that we could ever think of is already being worked on and has been being worked on for a very long time. All we need to do is find the folks that are doing it well, that we align with, right? Because everybody does it differently. So you do want to find the groups and the people whose ethos and and paths align with yours, right? Like I don't do a lot of work with religious groups because it doesn't align with what I believe in or what I want for the world. So you have to do that research, right? Mm -hmm. But then you find them and you serve them. (laughs) That's it. That's what you do. You give them opportunities to reach your community. If you have a community that is interested, 
you brag about them, you uplift their work, you fundraise for them, you find all of the ways that you can support them without adding additional labor to their lives, which I think is particularly important right now. Um, because when something big happens like, like Roe, everybody's furious, everybody wants to take action, everybody wants to do something, lots of people don't know what to do. And then they start to make demands of the people that have been knee deep, neck deep in this work forever and ever and ever at a time when they are literally drowning. <laughs> so I just think it's super important that we respect the folks that are in it, that have been doing it, and we support and service them in ways that don't add to their labor, basically. I think you've also made a really good point about being able to serve the role of connecting your community to that work as a way of volunteering yourself in a way that feels right to you and natural to you. I think that's a helpful way of thinking about what you can what you can offer as somebody who, you know, is a part of an a part of a not explicitly political community and is looking to figure out how to kind of make the connection between the two. I'm wondering how you define success in terms of what are you hoping each gains out of it? Because I think on some level, we often focus on how we are serving the needs of a political community when we have like a political issue that we feel really passionate about. But I think also to some extent, extending your community to a political community is is an act, it's an act of activism as well. It's not just a one-way street. You're not just there to make sure that people who are working on reproductive justice issues find an audience, but also to to offer that audience to them in a, in a helpful way. So I, I've done a few things that I think are like good examples of this. So I'll speak in an example and I'll speak in an upcoming example and then we can set success metrics together and then we'll reevaluate <laughs> once we get there. So like at the end of 2020, December, 2020, I started to hear everyone in my community say things like, man, I can't wait for 2021. Can't wait for January 1st. Yay. Everything's going to be so it won't be 2020 anymore. Things are going to be better. And I was like, oh, dear God, they don't know. <laughs> like, I was like, they think, you know, and it, it's, it's not that they thought that the clock would change and everything would be different, but the like January 1st gives us like so much hope and so much like um, energy for change and for um, trying new things. And I thought, dear God, if I hear one person say like, uh, you know, I'm going to get rid of my COVID bod in 2021, I'm going to lose my mind. So it was like, I need to channel this energy and this like desire for things to be different um, in a way that is going to be helpful and, and, and give people tools. So I thought, if folks have a daily making practice, that is going to help their mental health so much, particularly over that month. But if we can set up that that habit that they can keep going, like we can really we can really change some things here. And so I launched um, Make Don't Break, which was like a daily making practice. It was just the month of January for 2021. It was. The only commitment was that you agreed to make something for any amount of time in any medium at any point throughout the day. And you would try to do it every single day for the month of January. And if you didn't, if you missed a day, you would just 
brush it off and pick up the next day, right? So there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's no rules, whatever. And then I started to hear people be like, oh my God, this is just what I need. This is amazing. But like, what are the rules? <laughs> like, I love you. I will not give you rules, but I will give you some tools. Tools, not rules. That's my, that's my like new line. And so I thought, oh, wow, I just came up with the best idea. This is how I can connect people to activism. So I called 31 of my favorite activists across all different movements. And I said, would you agree to introduce yourself to my audience to share a prompt that will inspire their making for each day and then share a bit about your work and have an ask in there, something that they can do. And so they all said yes. And I started, um, I got, I don't know, I think 15,000 people signed up for the daily mailing list. And every day I wrote an email and I introduced our relationship to everybody. So it was like, I was introducing you to my friend cause I was, and then they introduced themselves. They shared a prompt. They shared an ask. They shared about their work. And that was it. There was like no pressure to do anything. And if like one particular movement didn't spark your joy or you didn't align with it, like you could just do that. Um, but what it ended up doing was connecting so many people to new like to things they hadn't thought of before, to different movements, to different leaders, to different communities. Um, and, you know, I get all the anecdotals, right? So I have all the like numbers, which is like great, but I want the anecdotals and all the anecdotals are are so exciting to me. So folks who had not thought about abolition, um, reading Miriam Kaba's book, and then like diving into understanding that world and like really sort of reframing how they think about the, you know, policing. And I mean, hello, could we ask for more than that? Like, absolutely not. So it just became a way to like incorporate what folks are doing in the world into like an inspiring prompt for the day, um, for your making practice as you developed it, but also to show the connection between that like art and activism can have in in thinking and in um, inspiration for creativity. Around abortion, I was recently like, okay, what are we gonna do? <laughs> and so um, reached out to the abortion front and I was like, look, what if I put together a year long fundraising campaign for you? I'm going to pick like get together 12 of like really diverse makers um, in terms of like their mediums and like how they come at the world. And like we can set it up so that if somebody signs on as a monthly donor, every month they get a new pattern from one of these these mm -hmm. folks. Or if they want to donate monthly at a higher level, just like a couple one offs you know, they can do that and get that month's um, pattern. And so we have cross-stitchers, embroiderers, knitters, crocheters, quilters, sewers, right? Like all on board now. Um, and we're gearing up to launch that in November with them. So they don't have to do a ton of work, right? There's obviously some, some work that they're like wildly willing to do around setting up messaging and like building their website so this can happen. Um, but what I've tried to do is take all of the work off of them beyond the initial setup. And every month I send them the pattern and the artist in front, you know, whatever they need. And then all of the artists are gonna do, you know, the promotion around their month and everybody else's month. So it's like, how do you find ways to 
help support their work. And in this case, like everybody just needs money. So, you know, like we will fundraise the heck out of this for them and let them use it how they want to, to do the work that they do. I love that. (laughs) That's awesome. I, I wanted to ask about using Instagram. So, you know, I know a lot of activists who use Twitter and I know the ways that that is good and not good in, in building communities. Uh, but in visual medium, you need Instagram. And so I know like Badass Cross Stitch has a, a huge Instagram following. So how do you like use it effectively to not just sort of get people to like stuff, but actually build community? Yeah, because I'm super not interested in having followers, right? Like that. <laughs> I mean, truly that, um, I'd never talk about my, my digital communities as, as followers. I don't care about numbers. If I have 10 amazing community members, I'm good, (laughs) you know? So I think it sort of starts with a paradigm shift around that. Like my objective is not social media fame. I actually, I have a love hate relationship with social media. Uh, I think maybe everybody does, but like mine comes with a lot of death threats. So mine is a little more extreme in the uh, hate side of things. (laughs) So it's tricky to want to put a lot out there, but also feel like for my safety, um, there's a lot I can't. So I think here's how I think about social media or Instagram in particular. The image is the hook, right? That's the thing that I'm getting you, I'm trying to use to get you to stop scrolling. Um, And then the hope then is that you read whatever I wrote, right? So either the image is going to be really strong and you're going to be like, oh my God. And then the the copy is going to be an invitation and you're going to be like, oh, okay. Um, Or vice versa, right? Like one or two is going to be super strong and that's the point, right? That's how you, you keep, folks moving. Um, and then the, hopefully the words lead to an inspiration of engagement, right? So people are talking to each other. They're talking to me. They're thinking about this. They're sharing their own experiences, whatever. But my entire goal is to get them offline and in-person with me, whether that's on zoom or it's an in-person gathering or workshop, Um, that's my success metric. Can I get you off the screen and into my room? Not my room, a room with me. (laughs) Please don't come to my house. (laughs) Unless I invite you, then you're welcome. So yeah, I mean that like for me, it's about like, can I build enough trust with folks digitally so that they feel safe coming to be in community with me? Um, And I like- honestly, some of my greatest moments, like there is an example that I'll share from, um, I was in, I think I was in Milwaukee, uh, as I was traveling around and this gal came to the workshop and she looked pretty nervous. And like, my whole thing is the minute you walk into the room, I am greeting you. I want to know everything about you. I'm introducing you to somebody else in the room so that you're never felt like you're like just alone at, uh, in a space that you're unfamiliar with about to learn something you've never done before. Like that's too much to put on anybody. Um, so I want you to feel like, Oh, I'm so happy I'm here. And like, Oh, this is going to be so much fun. And now I'm starting to feel comfortable. So I did that. This gal had a great time. She was great. And at the end she comes up to me and she's like, I just want you to know that I'm so proud of myself right now. And I'm like, I'm so proud of you. Why are you proud of you? (laughs) She's like, 
I sat in my car for like 20 minutes before this workshop, trying to decide if I was going to come in or not. I was feeling really like, uh, like I don't do things on my own. And I was trying to take myself out on a date, but then I was like super nervous about it. And like, I almost didn't come in and she's like, I'm so freaking glad I came in. And I was like, ah, I'm so proud. You know, like that I live for that. And so for me, it's like those moments where you can support somebody who may have just liked a bunch of things on Instagram that you did that is willing to like show up and, and try something new with you and connect with you. And then, you know, when we go back to social media, it's a transformed relationship, right? Now mm-hmm. we're friends. Um, so you have a different understanding of my work. Now you have different, um, like you understand my tone now, like, you know, you know how I'm saying something. And so some of the, you know, immediate knee jerk reactions to my words are softened because you know me and you're like, Oh, wait a minute. I would have heard this like this, but because I know her, I know that her tone and intention are like this. And that's really important to me. It also cuts down on the death threats. (laughs) Once you come out with me, you probably don't want to kill me. I'm just saying. (laughs) I'm curious. Are there things that you have tried or things that you've done that have been outside of your own comfort zone? Did they get easier over time? Did you just absorb them into your comfort zone eventually? Like, how did you come to this, the scale of organizing, especially on the like logistics side that you do in, that accompanies this, this craft work that you're doing? That's also very specialized. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, with all the work I've done in my life, like all of it, even though none of it would make sense if to the outside world, like all of it was building upon and leading to this. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I really feel like I'm, I'm living my mission right now. Um, and that I needed all of the skill sets that I developed through all of the different work that I did in order to be here and be able to, you know, speak in front of people, teach people, right? Like teaching people new things is not an easy, uh, act (laughs) as all teachers know, (laughs) um, you know, to be able to bring strangers together and create a space where everybody feels safe, heard and welcomed is like, you know, no small feat. Um, and so I think, you know, the more you do it, the better you get at it, right? And the, the more you put yourself in uncomfortable situations, the more comfortable you get in uncomfortable situations and situations become far less uncomfortable. Um, and so I, I think that's a big, that's a huge part of sort of everything is just knowing what you're good at, what your strengths are, finding people who are better at things than you and, and pulling them in. Like, I can't run all of these trainings. Like that's bonkers, right? Like I find the experts and I say, Hey, I have this platform. I'll set it all up. Do you want to come in and teach? I'll give you a bunch of money, (laughs) you know, like whatever everybody (laughs) chips in can be yours. And like, will you do this? And, you know, nobody says no, it's always so exciting. And so I think it's just like, like, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. I know what I like to do. I know what I hate to do. I do the stuff I like and I'm good at. And then I find people who are good at and love the stuff that I couldn't be bothered with, or just do not have the skill set or knowledge to be able to do. And I partner with them. And I think being able to partner and collaborate with people is like, 
paramount to success in anything, right? I'd like love working with other people. I love collaborating. I hate to be off on my own doing stuff without a million brains on something, right? So I wait till my idea is like any of my ideas, I wait till it's like 20% formed. And then I'm like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> right. Like I have not a perfectionist bone in my body y'all. So I'm like 20%, let's put it out there and see because everybody else makes it better. And so I could plan something out to a hundred percent and be like, I'm fully confident that this is completely flushed out and ready to go. And it's always going to change. And it's always going to be made better by the people like if you give them space to make it better, right? Otherwise it just fails. So I'm like 20%, I'm in, <laughs> who's in with me, make it better, you know? And then they always do. So, you know, I really trust my community and the people that I collaborate with to do what they're excellent at. And, and I bring in people who are excellent at what they do and it's easy to spot. That's kind of how this podcast started. I had like 5% of an idea. Yeah. <laughs> like anybody, anybody? I was like, I was waiting for someone to, to have 5% of that idea. Perfection. Well, Shannon, I think I could keep asking you questions all day, but <laughs> instead, how about you tell everybody how they can find more of you and your work and join in the trainings? Yeah. So everything's on my website. It's a robust website, y'all. I put a lot of work into it. So go there and spend some time there, please, because that'll make it worth it. So it's badasscrossstitch.com. Easy breezy. On Instagram, badasscrossstitch. On Twitter, Shannon Downey. I've been on that forever. I would have been on that since I was before Badass Cross Stitch. So <laughs> we're not we're not trying to change names now. You can sign up for any of the workshops and any of the upcoming good human trainings on my website, on the event page. Um, they're all listed there. And as well, I have a Patreon and we're having so much fun this year where every week I teach a new embroidery stitch for the whole year. It's called the year of stitch. Not real hard about that one. And every six weeks I produce a new sampler so that you can apply those six week stitches to a design. And we're having a heck of a lot of fun over there. And there's, you know, sometimes there's craftivist challenges and we get together twice a month on Zoom and hang out and stitch together. And we've got a whole bunch more stuff coming up for the coming year. So lots of fun. And as always, because money makes me angry, every, every level gets access to everything. So if you can afford a dollar a month, you are welcome. And you have access to everything. If you can afford $250 a month, dear God, I want to hang out with you more, but <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Uh, I'm going to go do one of those embroidery classes with you. Cause I, I, so I love fun. knitting and there are ways to be activist in knitting, but you can't like quite as easily do like the fun slogans and stuff. So I, I think I got to start. <laughs> well, you are welcome. And you will in under two hours uh, be creating brilliant works of, of genius. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Shannon. This was terrific. It was really fun. And uh, I, I hope I, I know that I have a ton of friends who are craftivists already. So I hope that they will think more about how we can, can use our art. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks thank for having you. me. It was great to meet both of you. Thanks for listening to What Can I Do? You can find show notes and credits for this episode at whatcanidopodcast.com. 
To the best of our knowledge, all audio used by What Can I Do is in the public domain or used with permission. Original artwork is by Matthew Wesson and used with express permission. You can find us on Twitter at What Can I Do Pod. To contact us with questions or guest suggestions, please email hello at whatcanidopodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review and tell your friends.